you know, I think there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in working and taking a risk in one's career to to be on a presidential campaign where you do not know what the end result is going to be nor have, you know, too much control over that. COVID-19 is a global issue. I My career has taken me all around the world from Philippines to Samoa to Egypt to Switzerland to England. I wish that we didn't have shame around being unemployed. You know, it's not something that I have spouted, you know, to the world like I am unemployed right now. And so if telling my story, if I can show, you know, I'm struggling too, maybe it can help those people feel less alone and the others who are in this situation not feel so bad about it. From national strategists to local organizers, political campaigns hire huge numbers of temporary workers in the United States, and all of them join the cause without really knowing how long their job will last or where they'll be when it ends. Being part of a successful campaign, especially a presidential campaign, offers people a chance to climb the success ladder quickly. And the earlier you join a campaign, the more capital you build. But what happens if your candidate doesn't catch fire? What happens if they drop out of the race? Where does that leave you, the person who committed so much of their life and livelihood to the cause? Meet Johanna. She lost her job in March when her candidate dropped out right after Super Tuesday and right before the pandemic really broke open. This is COVID Stories. My name is Johanna Gussman. I am in the wonderful unemployed during a global pandemic and economic crisis cohort. I was working with the Warren for President campaign. I was a statewide community organizer where I was sort of director over constituency-based engagement with African-American population, Latinx population, persons with disabilities sort of anything focused on really uplifting voices that needed to be heard. I, You know, it's kind of crazy to think that this even happened this year, everything that we've been through in 2020. But I was with two other organizers, and we had the good fortune of going to a supporter housing in Charlottesville that was kind of like a horse farm. So I think a little bit in anticipation, you know, this was after Super Tuesday with, um, I'll just say, kind of disappointing results. So I think we sort of knew what was coming. And so we were smart enough to kind of get in a loving and comfortable space to hear hard news. The New York Times broke the story before Senator Warren had time to do her group call with everybody. Um, so I, I remember getting an alert on my phone and being like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, I knew it was coming. But the interesting thing was like, even though I knew that she was bowing out and we were on an all staff call and, you know, she greeted us all, like as soon as I heard her voice, I just burst into tears. 
So, you know, I said we were on a horse farm and it was uh, really nice after we had a bit of a cry over it, let it kind of sink in the news that we no longer had jobs. Um, and then we just walked out and went and had free equine therapy, just kind of like petting horses. There were also goats and it was like a, a, a beautiful afternoon. We went to a winery in Charlottesville afterwards and, you know, you just kind of adjust to the new news that's happening. You know, we were unionized workers um, in her campaign. She practices what she preaches. And so I was eligible for unemployment benefits. But I think like most people, when you lose your job, it doesn't really, the reality of it doesn't really hit you immediately. And so, you know, it kind of took that weekend to kind of process, you know, COVID is happening and the world is just feels super off kilter. We kind of joke like Warren dropped out of the race and then the whole world fell apart. <laughs> like it really felt that way to all of us on the campaign. I, and um, so, yeah, I kind of adjusted and realized, OK, I had never before ever been on unemployment benefit, but knew, you know, I think it, it's sad. There's kind of shame around that. And I don't think that there should be, particularly as a union, you know, we're all paying into it. And so I kind of had to swallow a little bit of pride, but knew that I needed to do it. And so I was able to to apply for, for unemployment benefits. The the really the number one thing that I was most concerned about was was being covered with healthcare. As a child, I had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. I, I still have it as an adult. And so it really matters that I have access to a doctor. Fortunately for me, I qualified for Medicaid under Virginia and am able to keep my primary care physician. And if Medicaid hadn't been expanded, I would be in a heap of trouble. I, I will also say this, you know, that extra $600 a week is kind of everything. And without it, life is going to change drastically. I mean, I kind of don't really, you know, I'm hoping that by this point in July, I will have a job. But um, yeah, as the days count down and we get closer and closer to, you know, July 25th, it's going to cause a correlated amount of stress. Johanna has a unique set of skills that she's gathered over the course of a professional journey that took her around the world. She's a Fulbright scholar and a Gates Foundation scholar, and she couldn't be more qualified to help all of us survive our current crisis. Being unemployed during a pandemic is hard enough, but sitting at home, knowing you have skills and experiences that could help ease people's pain, has to be even harder. Johanna told me about her journey, about what inspired her to choose this path, and what it feels like to be at home and unemployed and uniquely skilled during this time. I think I definitely have a bit of a non-traditional employment background. I have a master's degree in biophysics and physiology and was well on my way to medical school before I stopped and pivoted and went to law school. So I have a, also a JD, which puts me in a kind of interesting spot of being able to speak two different languages, one of science and one of law. And so it's kind of afforded me a bunch of really interesting experiences. I 
worked for the World Health Organization all across the world. They like lawyers that actually have health backgrounds and, you know, we're kind of few and far between, but I don't think I fit into like a specific little box. So I I try not to speak legalese like a lawyer and I try not to sound too, I don't know, un-understandable as a scientist. So after I got my master's degree, I graduated from Georgetown University. I did an internship with Amnesty International doing a specific work on uh, maternal mortality and the disparate impacts of health on minority populations, particularly women of color. And so they wanted to have somebody who had specific science background. So I had this really unique experience and just kind of fell in love with it. And through that, knew that I wanted to experience doing things outside of America, kind of be this global citizen. And so I decided to move to Peru and work under a doctor there doing rural medicine. And while I was doing that, I made the sort of, I guess I I always tell people I made the horrible life decision of applying to both medical school and law school at the same time, which I do not recommend. And it was, it was actually, it's really funny to think back on it because I was way, way up in, in the rural areas of Peru where you didn't have internet connection. It was still sort of dial up. This was back in 2009. So, you know, free smartphones everywhere and available with easy connectivity. So I remember I would go to a computer you know, internet cafe and wait an hour to download and see each week which schools I got into. And it was just kind of a crazy experience. But through my applying to to law school, I knew I could only really afford to go if I landed a scholarship. And so I had applied for a Gates Public Service Law Scholarship to study at the University of Washington. It's a specific program they have with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to kind of bring in people like me who would not otherwise have access to legal education. And so I I made it as a finalist and the Gates Foundation flew me to Seattle and you have this kind of three day long interview process. And to be flown from from rural Peru, where uh, due to me having a pretty weak American stomach in that area, I just got really sick because I was not used to the bacteria. So I think when I was in Seattle, I weighed like just over 100 pounds. And when we were at this banquet, I had just seen all the food that I couldn't eat for so long. And I remember kind of holding a, a skewer in my mouth of vegetables and meat and and speaking with a federal judge who was trying to learn more about me and, you know, I guess divine whether I should get the scholarship or not. And and I I feel like they they all just saw me and they were like, oh, my goodness, this girl can't even feed herself. We need, we need to give her this scholarship. <laughs> So, you know, long story short, I I did land the scholarship. And so that's why I kind of did that big pivot from from science and medicine to law. I think I've always had within me a determination to have an impact on my community, the world around me. I don't think I'm somebody who can really devote eight hours plus of my day to something if it isn't 
a passion of mine. I guess I've just followed maybe an inner voice, I don't know what you want to call it, that's like, this is the right thing to do right now. All of these patterns that we see in economic inequalities and the gap in wealth, you know, that's particularly exaggerated here in America, the underlying issues are and causes are very much related to social unrest that we're seeing right now, the, the absolute systemic racism that has kept Black community from having wealth, the Hispanic community from having status to also build wealth. I mean, there's so, so many things we're going to be seeing in the next few weeks precisely how bad it is on the ground for people. I know that I will be okay, but it really makes you think about the large swath of people that really won't be. I have been interviewing for positions that would be wonderful. You know, I, I made the decision in my search to bring my skills and skill sets you know, into an actual decision-making capacity because I want to be able to help. <laughs> I don't know. I want to be able to make the decisions to truly help people. I kind of joke with people, right? I am a lawyer with a global health background who is jobless during a pandemic. Like, I feel like I, I, sh I should um, find some employment uh, as my skill set is kind of directly uh, geared for helping all of the issues coming up right now, but I want to take a leadership role in stepping up to the urgency of the moment. You know, I obviously went in to 2020 hoping to follow Senator Warren to the White House. You know, I think there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in working and taking a risk in one's career to to be on a presidential campaign where you do not know what the end result is going to be nor have you know too much control over that but i feel like very few times do you really have people running for office at that level that you can devote so much time and effort to without regrets and senator warren is definitely one of those people I wish that we didn't have shame around being unemployed. You know, it's not something that I have spouted, you know, to the world. Like, I am unemployed right now, even though so many of us are. And it's because there's this kind of stigma and shame attached to it. And so if telling my story someone who would, you know, on paper ostensibly be considered quite successful, if I can show, you know, I'm struggling too, maybe it can help those people feel less alone. And the others who are in this situation not feel so bad about it or feel like you did anything wrong. And as we see the kind of mental health issues that will arise from the year that is 2020, the more that we can talk about it, the more that people can share experiences and not feel so isolated, despite having to social distance and 
despite being in similar situations of job loss and whatever I can do that shares this experience that makes people want to stay resilient and want to keep going forward. I think that's something positive that I can do. You know, I guess I'm the an optimist that tries to find silver linings and everything, even though it's really, really hard to find anything silver in my life right now. Um, I think we just need to to hold on to that and that knowing that that change is possible. This podcast features the stories of real people. To learn more about their journeys, and how you can support their work, visit our website, covidstoriespodcast.com. You'll find show notes for each episode with ways to directly support the people featured here and the passions that fuel their stories. COVID Stories is a self-supported podcast. It's produced and edited by me, Nathan Vaughn. To learn more about how you can support this project or to submit your own story to be featured in a future episode, visit our website. The address, again, is covidstoriespodcast.com. Thanks for listening. This is COVID Stories.